episode Loaded nine. Oh. Does he sit second, man? No, I don't I think he does. I think Kevin Keegan probably sits second. Oh, my God, what a <laughs> scandal. Austin Eckler versus the cards. Go and fuck yeah. the lot of you. <laughs> Austin Eckler. He's making me like I'm some sort of cameo. Like, I'm coming in and go, and out the bag, England to win. Hello and welcome to episode 36 of Loaded Sport, where today we're going to be reviewing the weekend's action, including Kempi's Combat Corner, another edition covering uh, UFC. No! Undisputed UFC heavyweight champion of the world, Gian Bones Jones! And that concludes yeah, UFC 285. The, uh, that's it, yeah. See you next week, everyone. Uh, we'll also be looking at night five, reviewing night five of the Darts Premier League, but also previewing night six in Liverpool this Thursday. As well as that, the F1 season got underway in Bahrain. There's a lot of news coming out of the NFL, and we'll also be talking about the latest in the world of football, including an absolute thrashing that took place at Anfield. Introducing to discuss um, that, amongst other things, we'll start by uh, talking to you then, Skin. How are you doing, mate? Do you want to sound a bit more excited to speak to me? Or? Well, I'm trying to, to lower the level because I can't imagine you're really happy as a United yeah. fan having seen what you saw on Sunday. Look, oh, mate, we'll get into it, but if I'm <laughs> fucking Eeyore hosting the show this No, week. I feel like I have to because you've just had a, an awful Sunday where you've had to watch your team get embarrassed like that against local rivals and now look at it. You, I, I'm just There's assuming you're in a bad awful. mood, mate. Sorry, are you, are you yeah. happy or are you overjoyed? Look, mate, we'll, we'll get into it and I'll save it, but if you're going to let a, uh, a game of football ruin your day and ruin your weekend, then it's it's not that deep and it's not that serious. So I'm good, mate. And uh, Life has is, is perked up and picked up, uh, and, and I'm excited to go through what is, yet again, a plethora of action over this weekend, and there's oh. plenty to go out and get through. So yeah, I'm good, mate. What about yourself? How was your weekend? It was good, thank you. Yeah, very, uh, very action-packed. Plenty of sports, plenty of work for myself as well. So uh, all good. And then it's back to uh, the regular work Monday to Friday job as well. So uh, things always come to an end, don't they? That's it, mate. Absolutely. There we go. Uh, the one of us that does make plethora the famous word, Mr. Kemp. How are you doing? The man with the mic, Mr. Dawson. How are you doing, boys? Oh, I didn't like that order. You went, you went Sorry. man with the mic first. Mr. Though. Dawson, man with the mic. How are we doing, chaps? You okay? Yes, mate. You. Yeah, good, thank you. Not bad, not bad. Still on the come down from an unbelievable Saturday night and a historic Saturday night in, in the UFC, which we will talk about in Kempi's Combat Corner. Oh, yeah, um, mate. I'm looking but, forward to discussing your sleep yesterday yeah. and uh, uh, might be sleep, might be why sleep. you're a bit tired, okay. a bit cranky today. Cranky, tired, but excited to get on with, with, with the podcast, excited to get on with Kempi's Combat Corner, excited to talk about Shafi's um, success or lack thereof. Yeah, lockdown. yeah, I've got it. I missed uh, getting to mm. speak to Shafi. I'm looking forward to it, but uh, yeah, yeah, the yeah, but we'll, yeah, we'll save that. There you go. Save but yeah, apart from that, absolutely fantastic. And I'm not going to ask you how you boys are because you just answered my question. So let's crack on. There we go. Let's kick things off by talking about a bit more depth. What took place on Sunday? So Manchester United, a lot of people saw as the third option for the Premier League title this year. Any chances of that happening was very much squashed on Sunday afternoon when they made the trip to Anfield. And despite only being down by one goal to nil at half time, they fell to a 7-0 defeat. Skin, where did it all go wrong for Manchester United in the second 45 minutes? 
Um, I think it'd be quicker to go with what went right because that is a, a much shorter list. Look, heads clearly went. Luke Shaw for at least two of the first three or four goals that they conceded in the second half was absolutely awful. Um, and, and the heads just went. Look, Liverpool took their chances. They kept scoring. But for the most part, it was like they were just walking through the team. It was like the United players weren't there. So I, I, was, I was discussing this with a friend earlier because he was asking me about the result. And I said that I don't want to take anything away from Liverpool because they put seven in, in the back of the net. And, you know, he, they, they definitely wouldn't have expected that when they walked out on the pitch at the start of the game. But a lot of that comes down to, to the Manchester United players' attitude and how they approached that second half, especially when they went two and three nil down. It just, there was just absolutely nothing. They, they offered absolutely nothing whatsoever. I think the first half, they edged it in terms of who were the better side. That goal from Gakpo, the first goal in the 43rd minute, was definitely against the run of play. United were putting on big pressure in the previous 15, 20 minutes. Um, and Liverpool took the chance that they got. A great through ball from Andy Robertson and a brilliant first touch and finish from Gakpo. Gave them that momentum going into, into half-time. And then, yeah, what happened in the in the second half is well documented and, and just heads clearly went. I think the attitudes were piss poor. Eric Ten Hag after the game was was blunt and to the point, which at this point I think we expect, and said that it wasn't good enough. And you know their attitudes were not what they should be to represent the top football club in a club like Manchester United. Um, Rumours were after the game that Eric Ten Hag made the players sit in the changing room in silence to listen to the Liverpool players celebrating. And also that he demanded the players being at 9am this morning um, to go through the game, train, whatever it might be. And that when players had arrived at 9am, he had already been there for a couple of hours. So would have loved to have been a, you know, a sort of a background player in the, uh, in the, at Carrington today to hear what was said and see what happened. But yeah, is as is with football, at any point you're going to have losses, at any point you're going to have embarrassing losses. I don't care who you are, I don't care how successful you've been. Everyone's had them along the way. I've said it enough times that United had embarrassing losses with Fergie, Arsenal with Wenger, City with Pep and, and all the rest up and down in history. It's all about what happens next. And what happens next is a home tie on Thursday against Real Betis. First leg for a place in the semi-final. And then they're at home to Southampton, who, as we know, are struggling on Sunday. So two games there. Betis in great form, drew against Real Madrid at the weekend. So trust me, I'm not looking at that as a, a big bounce back game where they're going to win comfortably. They've got to be switched on. They've got to be ready. But it's happened. Move on. They've got two big games coming up now and it's about what they're doing then that will define the rest of their season. So, yeah, 7-0 to Liverpool, it's shit, but I'm not going to cry about it. And it's it's a wake-up call that was always going to come at some point, given the recent success. So, yeah, it, it's ask me next week when they've played Betis and Southampton and I might have a bit of a stronger opinion then, depending on how those two games go. And I know when we've spoken about the Premier League title race, and we'll talk a bit more in depth about the Arsenal-Man City challenge, but you, you were originally on the Man City board, then you jumped across to the Arsenal bus, then you had that sort of outside thought of maybe Manchester United could do it, maybe that was more heart overhead with you being a United fan. This kind of squashes any chances that United have of being in the title race this year, but it also shows that perhaps they've got to have a bit more about them into next season. Of course, they're in plenty of competition. I think the quad is mathematically still on. They can still win the Premier League, they can still win the FA Cup and uh, the Europa League as well. But the depth that they've got within their squad is obviously suffering. And do you think maybe that played a little bit of a part of, of just tiredness and then eventually frustration kind of settled in after they'd gone maybe three goals down? 
Potentially, but look, for me, if, if they'd have lost 2-0, 3-0, 3-1 yesterday, we wouldn't have be having this much of an in-depth conversation about it. It would have been, look, you know, Liverpool have been in a bit of form. United, it's caught up with them. All the games and all the competitions that they've been playing in, it's it's the manner of the result. And, and 7-0 wasn't because they got absolutely battered in terms of how they played poorly. It's more their attitudes went, which led to them playing poorly. It wasn't because they were tired. But look, it was going to catch up with them eventually. They're playing a lot more games than a lot of other teams at the moment. Being in four competitions, that just is what it is. But yeah, for me, it's more the manner in which a lot of those goals were conceded, where Liverpool players were sprinting full pelt. United players around them were just jogging and didn't look to have the same urgency. And it's it's a completely different team. I can't be asked with all these conversations about how it, it just seems that the last three months where they've been playing phenomenally well, getting great results, doing really well in pretty much every competition is out the window because of one result. It's 45 minutes of football where heads just went. And, and again, for me, if they get battered on Thursday or they, you know, they really struggle on Thursday and they look lethargic and then they play at home to Southampton, who by all accounts, they should be battering and they're scraping a draw. Come next week's review show, I might have a little bit of a different feeling, but I've got full trust in Eric. I've got no reason to doubt him or question him. It's one game. It's one anomaly. It's 45 minutes of football where every once in a while something crazy is going to happen. It happened at Brentford at the start of the season. It's happened now. Like I said, United had big losses and embarrassing losses under Fergie. Every club's had them no matter how successful they are. The, the whole character and what happens next is about what happens next. So we, we move on. I'm, I'm not too concerned about you know what's happened. It's all about what happens next. And yeah, Yes, the depth isn't quite there, but we know it's not. We know there's a couple of positions up and down the pitch that needs either starting eleven caliber or a bit of squad, um, you know, sort of bit of a squad depth. But overall, I'm still happy. Is what it is. Forty five minutes of football isn't going to change what they've done over the last few months. I'm glad you've said that about Eric Ten Hag because the fickleness of football fans was once again. Uh, proved itself on social media. I saw shortly after the game a lot of uh, tweets aimed towards getting Eric Ten Hag out of Manchester United, despite everything that he's done so far, calling for him to be sacked because they lost 7-0 away against Liverpool, who, like you say, against a different side, against a a Southampton, yes, United might have lost that game, but it's only 1-2-0. That front three of, of Liverpool clicked at just the right time, I think, when they went up against Manchester United. And that's why, like you say, it finished 7-0. And that's why we're sat talking about it today. If it finishes 2-0 and Liverpool have been in the same sort of form or the strikers have been in the same sort of form they have over the season so far, we're having a different conversation today, aren't we? So, uh, there we go. That's that bring- it, mate. It is what it is. We move on. Like I said, this time next week when we're talking about it, if you're not have really struggled against Betis and Southampton, there might be a slight cause for concern to say, right, Focus on the cup. League's out the window. League is out the window anyway. And, uh, you know, I'd never said that I think they're going to go on to win it. My point was, and you can go back. I'm not changing what I said because you can go back. It's there in black and white. The receipts are there. It was more with United being so close to Arsenal and in City. We were talking about City being in the title race when they were eight points behind and United were five points behind. We can't be talking about it being a two-horse race. Surely we've got to include United in those discussions. It was never a case of saying, oh, I think United will win it. So, yeah. 
we, like I say, we move on. Now it's, of course, a, a different conversation. It is an Arsenal versus Manchester City conversation, which means, uh, Kemp, this is where your involvement becomes much more apparent in the conversation. Mm. Of course, Manchester City, you've been backing them for mm-hmm. probably since uh, the, the start of the season. Uh, <laughs> I, on the other hand, have been going for Arsenal. I appreciated mm. your little message of how's things going for Arsenal, but you can talk... I was as concerned, much... that's all. I was just worried. <laughs> no, I get it. 2-0 down to Bournemouth. And when mm. the thing for me is, after that match, they interviewed Gary O'Neill and asked him at what point he felt that he was going to win that game and, and what point he felt that Bournemouth could go on and win that game. He said he didn't. And they were 2-0 up mm. at one point against an Arsenal side that just couldn't seem to get going. Now, you, you've got to give credit where credit's due. That is the stuff of champions, to battle back and, and, and get that sort of final Eric, goal. Uh, it is, yeah. No, it absolutely is. And I, I think I compared it to... I don't know who I said this to, but I compared it in, in terms of a feeling and a moment to perhaps um, the first ever Premier League season when Steve Bruce scored against Sheffield Wednesday for Manchester United. And Fergie and his assistants were all jumping around on the pitch and going absolutely bananas and, you know, loving life. Because that's the feeling, That's that was the moment when they were like, right, okay, you know, we, we can do this now. It's, it's a real possibility. And I feel as though that it's a lot earlier on in the season than that was. I think that was last sort of one of the last two or three games of the season when that happened for Manchester United. But it was the same sort of feeling. Um, and I, I still stick by Manchester City. I still think Manchester City will win the league. I think I take two things out of that Arsenal result. I take what what Shafi said, Shafi's point, where he can see Arsenal um, being inexperienced, making errors and, and losing silly games and, and conceding silly goals in the build-up to you know, the end of the season. Um, but they also played extremely well in that second half and in that second last, no, last 20 minutes, especially, to, to to win the game. And like you've just both said there, it's what champions are made of. That's what champions do. Um, I thought the performance in the first half from what I saw was, 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 was pretty poor. And like I say, up to the last sort of 20 minutes, half an hour, they were they were pretty lacklustre and struggled to break Bournemouth down. And Bournemouth are a team that, you know, they are struggling bad. I think a lot of people, including Schaff, predicted Arsenal to win, you know, three goals to nil or even potentially more. So it depends which way you look at it. You can look at it in the first half saying, oh, actually, Arsenal have got a lot of vulnerabilities um, against a pretty poor team. Or you can look at it in the respect that, yes, they, they had a bit of a shocking start, but they pulled the socks up, they were together. Um, and, and it'll be a massive, massive confidence booster for them that they came away with the three points. So ultimately, that's what it's all about. They did the job. Um, they're still five points clear, I think, in the league. Yeah. But it's still not enough for me. You know, squeeze, squ- scraping a win against Bournemouth, you know, at home when you were 2-0 down and looked pretty poor, that's not enough to convince me that you're going to go and go on and win a title. So unfortunately, Adam... Unfortunately, I have not um, conceded that twenty crisp pounds and 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 come over to the Arsenal side just yet. But give it time. What do Arsenal need to do to convince you that? I'm, I'm guessing you're at the point now where you believe they are title challenging material, despite the fact oh, that a couple cool. of weeks ago mate, you thought they if, could finish mate, third. Mate, if if I didn't think they were title contenders, uh, I would expect you to ring a doctor and find out if I've been dropped on my head. Because, you know, the top of the league, the five points clear. They've lost three games. They've drawn three games. They've won 20. You know, goal difference of 34. They're having an unbelievable season. But it, the fixtures they've got, they're five points clear. So that's, you know, they lose two, City win two, and that's it. They're still in the Europa League. So a bit of fixture congestion there. They've got Liverpool away, who are starting to really hit stride now, which is which is great. They've then got City away, which, you know, 
City beat them at home. So are they going to do anything away? They've got Newcastle away and Newcastle aren't scoring loads and loads of goals at the minute, but actually they're not conceding loads and loads of goals at the minute, you know, on a, on a normal um, week as well. So there's three games there that for me personally, on paper, I can't see them, I can't see them winning. Um, and if City do what they've done before, you know, and win 11 games out of 12 or whatever it is they did that, that season when they won the league by a point, I think it might've been last season or the season before. Um, then they'll win the league. So I'm just looking at it on past performances. Ultimately, City have got a record of knowing that they need to be pretty much perfect and then being perfect. And Arsenal have got a record of, right, let's not throw this away and then throwing it away. So I'm just looking at previous experiences, what's happened before with City and with Arsenal um, and coming to that conclusion myself in my head based on those previous experiences. Because ultimately, Adam, that's all we can go on. I'm going to be I honest. Think, and... Go on, sorry, you sorry, go. I was just going to say something that you said there about struggling against Bournemouth and all that kind of stuff. Again, at some point that's going to happen. City's you know a hundred point season. They had games where they scraped by. Arsenal's invincibles. They drew a lot of games and had games where they scraped by. Like it is going to happen. But I think this result and the in the manner of the win, on paper, history books go down. Beating Bournemouth three two at home, where you look at the table, you'd absolutely say fucking that's a bit of a, but. 2-0 down against anyone, whether it's Bournemouth or a mid-table side or a top-six side, to win in that manner, to come back, to not give up like a Manchester United did in the second half, to come back, get it back to 2-2, and then be absolutely relentless in that last 10-15 minutes and get that goal with pretty much the last kick of the game, that will do more for that team and their confidence and their team spirit and everything that you need to, you know, all the buzzwords that we use about what makes a title win inside that will have done more for that squad than a comfortable 2-3-4-0 win would have. Um, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. I don't disagree. I don't disagree for one minute. But it's not enough for me. It's not enough for, to convince me that they're going to go on and win the league. That, that, until you prove to me that you can do something that you haven't, I will never not believe that you're you know, not going to do the thing that you've done. Does that, does that show you how far Arsenal have come, though, where in previous seasons oh, they mate. wouldn't have done that? Mate. You look at Arsenal's position in the table and that shows me how far, far they've come. I watch them play week in, week out and it shows me how far they've come. You know, they've they've got great characters in that team. There's no question about it. You know, the, the fact that they didn't give up, they didn't down tools and they were like, right, fuck it. No, we're going to go for this and we're going to try and scrape a result. And like you say, I completely agree. After that goal went in and they won that game, I must admit, in the pit of my stomach, I thought, fuck, you know, is that going to propel them on now? Is that, is that what they're going to do? Or something. <laughs> is that what they're going to do? Are they going to propel on? Are they going to use that as, as oh, fucking hell, wow, we've just done this, we can do anything. But yeah. ultimately, I still do think they're a little bit too immature. I still don't think they're quite ready for it. And I still think City have got the tools to do it. And I, and I don't think Arsenal have. And to be quite honest, I've said it before and I'll say it again, I will continue to think that until it is mathematically impossible for me to, for me to not. Yeah, fair enough. I think the point that I was looking at there was kind of backing up what you said about how the tough games are for Arsenal. And I think what really will make the difference is, of course, the trip to the Etihad. But taking into account that the big sides that they have got to face, taking aside Chelsea, who really haven't been themselves this year, Liverpool, like you mentioned, Manchester City, Newcastle, I'm going to include them in there because they are a strong side when playing at home. All these games are away from home, which I think makes that job to, to keep themselves ahead of City 
so much tougher. And I think the game at the Etihad is going to be season-defining. And I think that's going to be similar to what we said in the Six Nations, isn't it? With who won between Ireland and France goes on to win the Six Nations. I think it goes, even if Arsenal do have a point uh, advantage over City at that point, whoever wins that game, in my opinion, goes on to win the Premier League. I think if Arsenal lose for the third time this season against Manchester City, I think it's already in their heads there. And I think that's where you've been saying the experience of City is really going to shine through. And I think that's going to be the difference maker. And I could, you know, I could potentially go along with that, to be quite honest with you. I think if that game does come to pass and, you know, that they're still neck and neck, because, you know, five points is, it's not it's not 10 points or 15, is it? So they're still neck and neck in, in the title race. I do genuinely think that whoever wins that game or or comes out with a better result in that respect, um, I, I do think they they could potentially go on to win the title. I don't think I disagree with you there at all. Okay, so Skinny, you just to be clear, are you standing by Arsenal? Or are you back on the City train? No, I'll I'll stick with Arsenal for now, purely because they are five points ahead, and that result I think will do wonders for their belief and and what they're capable of doing, but. Look, it, it can change at any given moment. You said there about them having to play again. City win that game and then Arsenal draw against the team in a weekend that City win. They're neck and neck. So five points sounds great, but it, it can go in the space of two games. So anything can happen. It's we've a seen it before, haven't we? Race. Five points yeah, is enough. of course we have. And there's 12, what, 12, 13 games left? Five points, 12, 13 games. That's absolutely nothing. Like yeah, you've just said there. If they had that with five, six games left, then yeah, yeah fair enough. But yeah. long, long way like, to go. Yeah. Like you just said there, Arsenal draw, City win. That's it. It's, it's you know, one one result in it again, isn't there? So, um, yeah, it's, it's like I say, I've said it every week and I'll continue to say it. How nice is it that we've got an entertaining title race that doesn't involve just City and Liverpool? Exactly. No, I 100% agree. Right, so let's move on to discuss the locks of the week. This past week, um, Kemp, your mate Shafi, joined us. Yes. Um, gave us a very good insight to his opinion of Arsenal. Surprised me a little bit by saying, despite being an Arsenal fan, he doesn't think they're going to win the league. But part of me expected that because you said that he'll play it down until they've won it. He'll not want to tempt fate or anything along those lines. No. No, yeah, he's very, very cautious. Like I said, he's he's supported Arsenal. I think he mentioned on the podcast that you know, he can't really remember. He was a bit, a little bit too young when Arsenal was successful, you know, before. So all he's known is uh, the Maro and Shamaks and the Santi Cazellas <laughs> of the world. Um, hey, so, hey, don't you dare this Cazola, mate. He was a oh, baller. mate, I've not. Oh, I've not. Not at all. Shaft said that um, it was one of his best Arsenal memory was Cazola scoring in the FA Cup. So I'm not dissing him whatsoever. I think it's just from 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 that perspective. You know, it's that era of Arsenal where you know they were post 2007 2008 where it all went on a little bit of a slide so yeah, yeah he's always expected nothing and 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 been right in his expectation so um he's doing the same thing now but one thing i, I must say I, I have back city i do still think city will win the league but if arsenal do win the league um the, the best thing that will come of it in my opinion is is Schaff will be very very happy and i will be very happy for him so it's not all awesome. bad is it oh that's oh. sweet Skin, you've got the uh, locks, the list and lock-ins, our results as well. You did join us a little bit late. I appreciate the fact that uh, you managed to get onto the podcast in the very end to give us your locks. Um, so I believe you've got the results with you. I have, mate, yes. And uh, I, I couldn't miss the opportunity to uh, document my picks for the weekend. But, uh, yeah, so uh, we'll go through the locks first. I went for Middlesbrough. Absolutely flying, Kent. What's, what's your thoughts on them, uh, Chasing your boys down for that last, uh, that second automatic promotion spot. Where's your thoughts with that at the minute? 
I've said it, I know. I've said it before. I've I've never got carried away. I've never said we're definitely going up because now gun to my head now, I don't think we will. Um we we're in the quarter final of the FA Cup and our trip out to Wembley would be good. Would I rather go out against Blackburn and get promoted? Of course I would, but yeah, yeah, it's it's the most typical Sheffield United thing to get to the semi-finals of the FA Cup and being uh, and being the hunt for promotion back to the Premier League and at the end of the season um, achieve neither. So yeah, I, I do personally think Middlesbrough will do it. I think we'll finish in the playoffs and ultimately losing the semi-finals again, um, and we go again, I suppose. Yeah, well. A lot of football to be played. Depressing, and, and I know. Some form needed. Yeah, Depressing, definitely. I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that was a tick for me. Aggie, you went for Northampton. They did go down to 10 men. They were absolutely battering. Uh, was it Crawley they played? Yep. Um And, yeah, looked like it was going to be one of those games where it was going to finish nil-nil. Crawley were going to scrape a, a late winner and, you know, have had two shots compared to Northampton's 23. That looked even more likely when Northampton went down to 10 men for an, an absolutely... It was a ridiculous reason. I've seen the card. It was never a red card. Um, but yeah, they, they managed to get a late winner and, and win 1-0 with 10 men. So a tick for you, mate. Well done. Um, Kemp, you went for Man City. Uh, early kickoff against Newcastle and in mm. the end, relatively comfortable 2-0 win. You know what, and credit just... there, because I remember you saying Man City at the time and I thought that had a draw written all over it. So uh, a lot of credit there for you. I thought that was, uh, was going to be a share of the spoils. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's uh, Newcastle. They're just just teetering off a little bit, aren't they? We'll, we'll go with. Um, but yeah, yeah, another, yeah, another tick for you, Cam. So all three locks for us right this week, lads. So well done. Um, and Sam is expected to join us back next week, so we can get back to the full uh, four opportunities and and someone scraping the barrel for for that last pick. Um, scorers, uh, I went with Andy Cook for Bradford. Uh, I was stuck between three players, as I mentioned on the preview show, but I went with Andy Cook. He has been absolutely brilliant lately, um, and it was looking like it was going to be an unsuccessful pick until the 93rd minute where he put Bradford ahead. So uh, scrape that right at the end, but they all count. So a tick there for me. Uh, Aggie, you went for Sam Hoskins for Northampton. He didn't score in that 1-0 win. And Kemp, you went for Erling Haaland, which seems to be, despite his absolutely phenomenal season, it seems that nine times out of ten where someone picks him on the podcast, he doesn't score. But nine times out of ten, he is picked each and every week. So I'm not really sure where he's scoring because he's not been that successful. It was all at the, mostly at the start of the season, weren't it? And I think we, we started the podcast um, just after November. the start of the season. Yeah, so yeah. The, the vast majority of the goals that he scored, I think he had about 15 in his first two games, didn't he? So, <laughs> yeah. Um, Either scores so, yeah. zero or scores a hat-trick. Yeah, it's, it's all or nothing with him, isn't it? He's a little bit of a stat padder. Um, but hey, hey Drew hey, Brees, if you will. Kicking myself a little bit that I didn't have uh, Phil Foden. I was thinking about it and obviously did go ahead, go ahead and score. So, you know, we live and learn. I just want to ask you a quick question on the back of that because mm. I saw something. This is for both of you, to be fair, but Kemp, I'll come to you first. Um, Manchester City this year, are they a better or worse side than they were last year with the inclusion of Erling Haaland? Um, I've, I've heard this conversation happen, um, just like you have, Adam, as well. They're a better side with Erling Haaland in it because Erling Haaland is a better player than they had last season. And I don't think there's a better striker in the world on his day. So I have to say that, that City are a better side with him in it, but 
They just need to adapt to him because, you know, they've had a few seasons playing you know, a false nine with Aguero injuries and stuff like that towards the back end of his career. So Yeah, played De Bruyne yeah. up top quite a lot, aren't they? Like saying that yeah. false nine role. Yeah, so yes, they are a better side with him in it, but they just need to take a little bit of time and, and figure out how to properly utilise him, I think, and they'll do that, you know, probably next season. But we'll see. Um, well, my answer is I, I don't think how you can justify saying that they are a worse team without him. Are, are you in that camp, Aggie, or? Um, no, I, I don't think they're a worse team. I think there's times where they are a bit too heavily reliant on him because they know what he can bring to the side. And from a team that's been heavily reliant on one goal scorer or no goal scorer for a long period of time, I think you can be a bit too heavily reliant. And I think that's what Man City are at the moment. They they rely on him to be the right man at the right time to save them. Um, of course, with De Bruyne, it's made so much easier because he can pick a needle out of a haystack. He's that good with the football at his feet. But with, with uh, Haaland, I think it's just the game now for them revolves too much around him and they're heavily reliant on him. So I think in terms of ability, they're a better side with him. But I think as a football inside, I think they are a bit too reliant on him. And like Kemp says, if they start to adapt a bit more, as opposed to trying to get him to adapt to them, I think they'll see a lot more success. Yeah, definitely. On to the wild cards. I went with Manchester United. Um, Fuck off. (laughs) I can't believe I've done that. Yeah, you did want them, but mate, don't start acting like you're gutted that you didn't get them because we we know how that went. Uh, yeah, Aggie, you went for Leeds away at Chelsea. That was a uh, Chelsea scored, which is something, and they won, which is something. So I looked at two, and I thought Leeds away at Chelsea or Wolves at home at Tottenham, and I thought there's no way Wolves are going to beat Tottenham because they've just come off the back of a defeat to Sheffield United, the Premier League side in the top four. They've got something to sort out. Whereas Chelsea are just shit. And I thought, I'm going to go with Leeds. Because if anyone's going to get grab a goal despite being against the runner play, it's going to be Leeds. And Wolves beat Tottenham 1-0. And I sat there and I thought, what even are Tottenham anymore? I'm not really sure, mate, to be honest. It, they, they, they are the inform, they were the informed Premier League team. So, But, yeah, they still don't seem to be doing bits. And then you know, the, the focus is clearly going to be on them getting knocked out of the FA Cup and what that means for Harry Kane's future and it's typical bottle jobs and everything like that. So, yes, uh, yes, it's weird. But all that kind of stuff we'll, we'll get more into as the as the season goes on and the, and the summer comes into play with the transfer window. Uh, Kemp, I had Blackburn written down as my backup mate. Mm. I only prepped two wild cards this week and they were Man United as my first pick and then Blackburn is my, my second choice, thinking that yeah. Sheffield United might have a bit of a hangover from the FA Cup victory. Yeah. Early kickoff on the Saturday, Blackburn in very good form. Um, and I would imagine that that was a lot of your reasons as to why you went for them. And uh, they got the win and carried on your absolutely phenomenal wildcard success. You've now got seven out of nine correct so far this year, mate. So another great pick from you. And I think you're a sellout. Absolute fire on the wild cards, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, watching Sheffield United for 24, 23 years now, it comes in handy sometimes. And knowing that when we have a good result, doesn't matter whether it's in the league or it's in the cup, we will always, always, always go into the next game and play absolutely shy because they've all been down Maggie May's game pissed up. So, um, yeah, it was an easy easy year one to pick, I think. And and it's coming for, for seven out of nine. So, it's just like clockwork these days, boys. I don't even celebrate it anymore. 
Yeah, Aggie just said that he thinks you're a sellout there. I don't know if he you caught that, but... sellout? Yeah. I, I heard him. Do you want to elaborate on that, Aggie? Yeah, yeah. That, he's gone against his yeah. own team. He's he's more impressed mm. with getting uh, the wild card correct than uh, backing his boys, and I think that... Oh, I that, know. That, that warrants so a sellout. Upset. So devastated with you calling me a sellout when I'm 7 yeah. out of 9 on wild card. Exactly. You know, you're this, right. the player, this is right. literally the game, his opinion. He's emphasizing my point as we speak. Oh, more bothered no. about how he's doing with the wild cards than seeing his team successful. Yeah, well, if you had a decent record to protect, you probably would anyway, mate, as well. But mate, go. look, all I've got to do is go against Chesterfield every single week and it's guaranteed at mm-hmm. the moment. Why don't you then? Because I'm not a sellout. Yeah, uh, you're a loser. He, he, he respects the game, mate. It's it's business. It's business, isn't it, mate? Business you can't, is business. You, it, yeah, it's business, mate. It's not personal. You you can't you can't let your heart rule your head when it comes to this, mate. You got to take as it. As Conor seriously. McGregor said, it's just business. It is, mate. It is just business indeed. Um, so for the week, then, lads, that puts me at uh, two out of three, which is better than the one out of three that I got the previous two weeks. So found found a tiny bit of form again. Looking for that full house next weekend. Aggie, one out of three, mate. After. Back-to-back weeks of three out of three, so you're back at your level now, which is good to see. Hang on, hang uh, on, hang on. Let's not let's not be that negative. One out of three or seven out of nine? Seven out of nine, much better. Yeah, Wait, so you're having a go at me for being a sellout because I've got seven out of nine on wild cards. You get seven out of nine and you're amazing. No, mate, seven out of nine is an incredible effort on wild cards. My issue with it mm-hmm. is the fact that you went against Sheffield United, which is the team that yeah. you support. Bidness. Difficult That's to win, my mate. Issue. Difficult winning all time. Bidness. Um, well, I mean, now. if you want to play that game, Maggie, and say, well, I'm seven out of nine and that sounds much better, mm-hmm. I will, I suppose, very quickly point out that you are still bottom of the leaderboard at 50% for the year. So uh, <laughs> there you go. But look, mate, seven that's out of nine incredible over the last few weeks, you sat at 50%. Still. That shows you how terrible you were three weeks ago. So we've got to give you some credit, I suppose. Yeah, I'll take the credit. That's all I'm going to get. So, yeah, carry on. Take it, mate. Take it, mate. Keep climbing this upcoming week. Get get studying for your picks. And uh, Kempi, mate, two out of three. Man City mm-hmm. win, Blackburn win, getting you getting you two and, and Erling Haaland, of all people, letting you down for the full house. But uh, mm. I'll be honest, Aggie is chasing you for that third spot. It's uh, it's it's on them wild cards keeping your head at the minute. But if you can stop two out of three every week, mate. Two out of three every week is what I aim for. I'm happy with two out of three every single week. It means that you're above average and you're doing all right. So yes, mate. Yes, mate. You are above average in a lot of fields, mate. And yeah. wild card is definitely not one of them. You are a field leader when it comes to that. Um, on to the locking results. So last week we had a new leader, didn't we? With Paul Martin, get three out of six. Uh, including becoming the first person to get a score right under controversial circumstances. But Schaff, against the odds, against Kemp's absolute adamant issy <laughs> that he wasn't <laughs> going to pick Arsenal. He did pick Arsenal as his lock. And I'll tell you what, Reese Nelson came to the rescue to uh, save him going 0 for 6 this week. So he gets one for that. He had uh, Dennis as his scorer for Carlisle, who didn't score. He had Blackpool as his wild card home to Burnley. They did get a draw, but they didn't get the win. He had Arsenal to win 3-0, which, as we know, was incorrect. He had Man City to win 1-0, which we know was incorrect. And he had Liverpool and United to draw 1-1, which... Just a tiny bit incorrect, that one. Yeah, well, it would have been nice, but uh, unfortunately not to be on this occasion. So, Schaff gets one out of six uh, on the leaderboard. He, he joins pretty much the, the average score so far, so he's got to be happy with that, even though I'm sure he won't be in the grand scheme of things, but there's nothing wrong with being average, is there? So, um, 
this week we've got Chris Big, Aggie, your mate, your your radio co-presenter, co-commentator. You've done a lot of work with him in the past and, and radio, so looking forward to, to speaking to him. I'm sure he's going to have a lot of good opinions. I'm looking forward to hearing what he's got to say about Chesterfield's recent form and also their uh, the transfer activity this week. Aggie, just a quick point on that. Chesterfield got a very late winner at the weekend. A bit of luck, but sometimes that's needed to get you out of a bit of a slump. So they're back on track and they've made two, what seems on paper, two very good signings today. As they're, do you think behind the scenes a bit of a, we need to sort this fucking shit out? Is it a little bit too late? Or is it just a case of getting themselves set up ready for the playoffs to hopefully knock off one of the big boys in Wrexham or Knox County? It's definitely too late to be challenging for the automatic promotion spot, the one place of that you course. get in the National League. But I think even if we'd made these signings sooner, it'd still be a two-horse race between Wrexham and Knox County because I think both of them are way too good for this division. But like your famous saying of any given Sunday goes, when it comes to the playoffs, it is just one fixture in the National League. You don't get the home and away legs. And I think that's why whoever misses out on automatic promotion will have too much negativity in the camp and will therefore miss out on going up through the playoffs. The signings that we've made, uh, Laparta from uh, from Southend is an incredible signing. A lot of people felt that he was too good for this division. He's still quite young, 21 years old, comes from Poland and I think in 21 games scored six goals for uh, for Southend at a centre-half position. So gives a lot more that we need at the back, but also a bit of an aerial threat from set pieces, which is exactly what we need when we're not using Joe Quigley. Um, and the other one, Andrew Dallas is a player that I wanted before we'd even let Shimanga go. But in typical fashion, because we're not getting paid for Shimanga at this level, we don't have the money to therefore buy Dallas. So Dallas comes in on loan until the end of the season. Hopefully, with his contract up at the end of the season, we can do enough to, to tempt him to stay. But I know there's a lot of uh, League 2 and I think there's one or two League 1 sides that are keeping an eye on him at the moment. So hopefully he'll uh, get us promoted before he buggers off. But yeah, I think it's just a case of a bit of a kick up the arse. We need a bit more competition for places. We need players that are good at this level and able to push on for us and at the moment we just haven't had them very interesting when does uh, when does Lapata join um Ag. uh yeah he joins <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were thinking of my name there um I believe he's set to be announced today um I've heard rumour that Andrew yeah, Dallas when does he join now he should be good enough be to, uh, weekend, to play we'll tomorrow Really? Yeah, well, he's same as Dallas. Dallas has signed today and he should be ready to go tomorrow. Whether Paul Cook chooses him with with less than a day's training when Cook's already said in interviews that with the amount of travelling that we're doing, we don't have enough time to do training. I've I've absolutely no idea anymore. So he might not even use either of them and might save them till Saturday. But both have been announced or, sorry, Laparta is set to be announced. Dallas has been announced. So we'll wait and see what happens there. Maybe Laparta is going to miss out on Tuesday, but we'll see. Interesting. You okay? Yeah, was it, Bennett? Yeah, okay. Do you want to cool. keep talking about Chesterfield? No, mate, it's fine. I thought you was going to move on to whatever we've got to say next. But yeah, no, Chris will be here on um, on this this weekend, or this week, should I say, to go through the listener lock-in, hopefully beating the score of three that Paul set. I'm going to say that because I'm a little bit biased because uh, Chris is a good friend of mine. We've done a lot of football commentary, and uh, he actually does wrestling commentary and ring announcing at the moment for wrestling as well. So that would be an interesting uh, subject to talk with him about. Uh, but in the meantime, in just a few moments' time, we will be back for another edition of Kempi's Combat Corner to review UFC 285. 
Welcome back to episode 36 of Loaded Sport. It is now time for another edition of Kempy's Combat Corner. Kemp, just what happened at UFC 285 this weekend? Oh, what didn't happen at UFC 285 this weekend? We had the, the, the arrival of a potential superstar, as we predicted. We had the absolute slobber knocker between Shavkat Rachmanov and Jeff Neal. And we had a, a shock title win and a, a less shocking title win as well. So an all-encompassing everything that you, you want from a UFC card. We got it this weekend from the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, John Jones, the before the fight, before the event, consensus greatest mixed martial artist of all time. By all intents and purposes, he is unbeaten. Um, he was moving up in weight. First time he's fought in over three years against the number one ranked heavyweight in the world, Cyril Bongamin Garn. Um, and and what what an event it was. It started with Bo Nickel, the, the prodigy coming out of Penn State, um, Big Ten Athlete of the Year a few years ago. And that's not just in the wrestling side of things, that's, that's in the entire NCAA. That's football, that's basketball, that's every single college sport that's played. Bo Nickel was the uh, Big Ten uh, NCAA, uh, NCAA um, Athlete of the Year. So a lot of hype, a lot of expectation from the 27-year-old the man. Um, and, and he came out and, and uh, submitted Jamie Pickett in the first uh, round via arm triangle to to get his UFC career off to a flying start. So congratulations to Bo Nickel from, <laughs> from everybody at Loaded Sport. Um, we then moved on to a, a decent fight between Matthias Gamrot and Jalen Turner. It was a close fight. But I did predict, I think, uh, Gamrot to win. So uh, he, he did in the end. Um, do either of these fighters, you know, get to the top of the lightweight rankings? You know, the lightweight division is pretty stacked. Probably not. But it, it was a good fight on the main card, nonetheless. Um, Jeff Neal against Shevkat Rachmanov next, which was just crazy. Um, if you listen to the, 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 the preview show when we had Kempi's Combat Corner, we had our special guest Shafi on for that. Um, it, 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 nobody expected Shavkat Ratmanov to lose, but, you know, we didn't expect him to put the performance in that he did, literally just like a zombie, coming forward in straight lines, not moving his head off the centre line, getting pieced up and tagged by Jeff Neal. Um, what a chin he's got because, you know, that, that would have floored a lot of welterweight. So congratulations to Shavkat. But if he does want to make it at the top of that very, very stacked division against the likes of Leon Edwards, Colby Covington, he, he needs to make sure that he's He's moving that head off of centre line before he does anything else. Um, he got a submission at the end of the fight, which I was absolutely delighted with because I backed him to do so. Um, and, and it was a, a good win for him in the end after a bit of a, a difficult showing. Um, we then move on to a fight where the result, the outcome, was um, a minus one, uh, sorry, a plus 1,250 bet in America, which basically means the outcome of this fight the way that, that it went was 13 to one for it to, for it to happen this way. And that was Alexa Grasso submitting the UFC flyweight champion of the world, Valentina Shevchenko to win the UFC undisputed women's flyweight championship of the world. It was a fight where Alexa Grasso looked pretty much in control. Um, I don't know if they've changed the ruling on the referees wanting to stand fighters up if they're not as active as they want them to be on the ground. Um, 
Valentina was in uh, had Alexa Grasso on the floor. She was in full guard and she was she was working. She was throwing punches. She was landing punches and and um, and the referee, I think it was Jason Herzog, did stand them up, which was a bit of a confusing moment at that time, especially when Valentina was you know the only success she really was having was when she was taking Alexa Grasso down, which does seem to be a weakness in Grasso's game, um, but. She 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 outboxed, she outstruck Valentina Shevchenko, who is a, a decorated kickboxer herself. Um, yeah. and her hands, you know, she was showing some very very stiff jabs. She was she was landing some great shots. And even though Valentina was four out of six on takedowns, um, she she still couldn't get the job done on the ground. And Grasso survived. Going into the fourth round, it was reminiscent of Luke Rockhold versus Chris Weidman back in the day. Where Chris Weidman tried to throw a spinning kick, got caught, and and ultimately got got submitted by Rockhold because of that. Um, Alexa Grasso's victory was was very very similar in that respect. Um, Valentina was backing up a little bit. She tried to throw a spinning back kick, I think, um, and Grasso went in and, and took her back and, and and took her to the mat and, and never really gave her an option. She she closed that you know she she closed the the distance. She she got the hooks in really quickly, which was very impressive for a striker. Um, and she submitted her via a, it was a neck crank in the end because she didn't quite get under the chin. But Dawson, you don't know the UFC ridiculously well, but obviously you know how much of a dominant champion that Valentina Shevchenko has been at that division. And you know how much of an outsider Grasso was to win this fight, especially by submission. Um, yeah. Wow. That's all I can say about this fight. Yeah, and it uh, it certainly shakes up that division, doesn't it? Like you say, Shevchenko has has dominated, has been expected or was expected to win, and every so often you'll get that kind of result, like a you know this not as big as that, but a, a home against uh, Ronda Rousey, where you know what's expected doesn't happen, and it completely shakes up the division and the future mm-hmm. of of the you know what what they're doing there. So yeah, what what can you see happening next now with that after that result? Well, you look at somebody like Valentina who defended her belt, I think it was seven or eight times, and you look at that and think, okay, well, she deserves an immediate rematch because of the the work that she put in during her title reign. But does Valentina want that? Valentina's been on such a tear. She's been nonstop for you know four or five years in the UFC, putting in work, effort, ridiculously disciplined training camp after training camp and defending her title. And, you know, heavy is the head that wears the crown um, in, in all in all sports, not just in, in the UFC and in boxing combat sports. So does Valentina take a little bit of time off? Does Erin Blanchfield fight Alexa Grasso and then the winner fight Valentina for the belt? Um, I don't know, but like you say there, Dawson, it's it's definitely, definitely shook up the division. Um, and it'll be very, very interesting to see where it goes from here because there was a lot of talk before the fight. There was a lot of talk in the build-up that maybe a Grasso won't beat Shevchenko, but Erin Blanchfield might be the one because... The division does seem to be catching up with Shevchenko. It does seem to be closing the gap. Um, and we saw that this weekend with a with a very shocking result. But, you know, what a result it is for Alexa Grasso. And now we've got three three Mexican world champions in the UFC. So uh, it's, it's, it's exciting times for Mexico at the moment, if nothing else. We then moved on to the feature bout of the evening, the, the, the heavyweight championship of the world, the main event for all the marbles, for the title of the baddest unarmed man, in the plot on the planet, um, as we mentioned, it was the former undisputed, undefeated for all intents and purposes, light heavyweight champion of the world. John Jones has had a difficult career with ups, downs, um, PED usage, failed tests, uh, you know, crimes he's committed that he's been arrested for, and you know, he's been a very, very shaky 
career for John Jones in his UFC career. But after three years out, he, he took the time, he, he put the weight on what looks like now rather healthily. And even though he's got a little bit of a belly up at heavyweight, he, he did the business and, and he defeated Cyril Gorn without pretty much any problem apart from a groin shot in the first 10 seconds of the fight. So Dawson, it was the, it was the result that a lot of us predicted. I don't think we expected it to be as easy as it was. I think John Jones did, but I don't think we did. I mean, your thoughts on John Jones? He's back. He's the heavyweight champion of the world. All I'll say is this, my friend, the GOAT has returned. Yeah, and again, I said it in the build-up to the fight. He was the consensus GOAT of, of MMA. I think if you ask you know, 10 people who the GOAT of MMA is, if you're an MMA fan, um, at least seven six or seven would probably say John Jones with a, maybe a GSP or a Habib thrown in there for, 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 uh, for good measure or an Anderson Silva. But after that performance, he's a two weight world champion. Now he's the heavyweight champion of the world. He's the baddest man on the planet. And, and the consensus, you know, second best heavyweight on the planet, Cyril Garn, who took Francis Ngannou, the former champion who vacated the belt to a decision, who knocked out rising contender and tied to Ivasa and, and, and he's not, you know, he's been on a bit of a tear apart from that Francis fight. He was unbeaten in the UFC and in MMA yeah. up until that Francis Ngannou fight. And, and John Jones just dispatched him like he was absolutely nothing. So I don't know, you know, the conversation was when he was at light heavyweight, you know, everybody said, you know, in that Reyes performance, in that Thiago Santos performance, did he just not have the motivation at light heavyweight anymore? Is that why he performed not to his best ability. Do you think that's why he was a little bit of lackluster towards the end of his light heavyweight career? But you now he's got off to a, an absolute, you know, steamroller of a start in his heavyweight career. What do you think to that? Do you pay any sort of attention to that or agree with it? No, it's it's just one of those things, isn't it? Like it could be any number of reasons. He could have mentally checked out. Yeah, you know, there's always been a lot of conversations about as you said at the start, things outside of the ring and, and all that kind of stuff. And as we know, when it comes to high-level sport, it's a, it's a mental game as much as a physical game. So he, he he showed what he could do in the light heavyweight division, which is why, as you mentioned there, a lot of people consider him the GOAT. And he's come in and he's in, in the heavyweight title fight and he's won in the first round. So I, I don't think he'll care. I, I don't think anyone else will for that matter. And and for me, when it comes to to that sport and a lot of sports, really, we we're saying it about United earlier. What's next now for John John Jones? Who who's mm -hmm. in line? When when can we expect to see him again? What, what do you reckon? Yeah. Are we going to see him in the summer? Just you know, in the, yeah. in the autumn maybe? And and who's who's in line for for a big money fight and hopefully a, a big main event on a, a pay per view card? Yeah. First of all, who who do you who do you think will be next? Which might be an obvious answer, but. Who yeah. also do you want to see him against in the heavyweight division? Well, you know, wave a magic wand if I can see him against anybody in the heavyweight division. Obviously, it's going to be Francis Ngannou. Of course, it is. Um, yeah, former heavyweight champion of the world had to vacate the belt because he couldn't come to terms with the UFC on a new deal. Wants to maybe do a bit of like exhibition boxing with Tyson Fury or something like that. In himself a, a boatload of cash, and I can't say I blame him, but that's not realistic, unfortunately. And and I, I doubt we'll see Francis Ngannou in the UFC anytime soon, if ever again. So the next one on the, on the rung, really, apart from Cyril Gahn, it's Stipe Miocic. You know, Daniel Cormier is now retired, been retired for a few years. Stipe Miocic, former heavyweight champion of the world, lost against Francis Ngannou for, for the title and, um, and, and hasn't, uh, hasn't been seen 
in the octagon since. So Stipe Miocic is is the next fight. That's been pretty much confirmed by by everybody who it needs to be confirmed by in that respect. Um, and that looks as though it will happen this summer. Um, any UFC fans, people who follow the UFC, they'll know that in the summer, sort of start of July time, the UFC tend to do something called International Fight Week. Yeah, where it tends to be, you know, a bit of a festival in in Las Vegas. They'll rent out a convention center. They'll do Q and A's. They'll do the UFC Hall of Fame. Um, it's it's like WrestleMania week, effectively for for wrestling fans. References where International Fight Week in the UFC is the biggest, you know, biggest card of the year, biggest event of the year, biggest week of the year for for an MMA conference um, feel. So. That's where it'll happen. International Fight Week, John Jones versus Stipe Miocic for the heavyweight championship of the world. And then after that, I think John does beat him. I think Stipe will probably retire. And then after that, where he go? Where does he go? You know, John Jones is 35 years of age, um, fairly young for a heavyweight. And it sounds crazy to say because John Jones has been around for such a long time in the MMA mainstream. Um, but but it is fairly young for a heavyweight. You see a lot of heavyweights peaking towards the back end of their 30s. So where does John Jones go after that fight, in your opinion? Let's say, for example, you do wave a magic wand and it is Stipe versus John Jones. They can't get the Francis Ngannou deal done and, and, and nothing happens there. Dawson, what do you think happens? Does John sail off into the sunset or do you think he sticks around and, and tries to add to his legacy because his legacy is already set? You know, Does he just try and add to it, I suppose? Yeah, it's so tough. My my instant thought when you were asking that question was, surely he's not come back from three years from all the adversity, not put all that work in to just do one or two and then go. But I suppose it's the manner in what happens when he does come back. Like you say, not, people expect him to win, but not in that manner. And he did. He's naturally going to fight again at some point. And if he beats them in convincing fashion, does he turn around and say, look, I don't need to prove anything anymore to, to anybody I've done what I need to do. Need to do, but if he gets a steep a next and he beats him, and then the rumor starts swirling about Francis coming back and he does come back, mm. who knows, mate? Who knows? It it really could go one way or the other. They, they tried to tie Francis down to a a big contract, and as we know, he didn't accept it, and that's why he's looking at exhibition boxing. So, could mm. that fight against the John Jones be enough to entice him back? I hope so, because that'll be as I always like to say, for the big occasions, a spectacle and one that mm. even sort of a, the casual fans will be invested and interested in. But yeah, yeah. Who, who's to say? Yeah, I, to be honest, I don't think it'll happen. I know there've been feuds and stuff and Dana's said that person will never come back and that person's ended up coming back. So I, I understand that, that that is the case in a lot of respects, but um, they were negotiating with Francis Ngannou for a very, very long time. They didn't manage to get anything done with him. Um, Francis, he wants to do that exhibition boxing. He wants to set himself up for for life, and and I don't think the UFC are willing to pay him what he feels as though he's worth. It's not just a case of you know there are a few few quid out. You know they might be able to get to it. Um, you know that we're talking tens of millions of dollars that that the front that the UFC and Francis and Garner are away from reaching an agreement. So. I don't think that'll ever happen again. I don't think we'll ever see Francis Ngannou in the UFC again. I do think it will be John Jones against Stipe next. I do think John Jones will beat him. You've got a, a, a guy like Sergei Pavlovich, seven, 17 and one in the UFC. Um, he's got Curtis Blades in his next fight. You know, if he wins that, he'll definitely call out John Jones. But it's difficult. You look at the the the, the guys b- below them. You've got Tuivasa, who is a very entertaining fighter, but 
you know, he's not top level. Curtis Blades, he's always sort of been the bridesmaid and never the bride. He's always got to that top level and, and lost, whether it be against, you know, Francis or or whoever. And then below that, you know, you are struggling. The UFC heavyweight division it is struggling for for young up-and-coming contenders. Sergei yeah. Pavlovich is probably the most exciting contender and, you know, he's 30 years of age and it's not old, like I say, in the UFC. But apart from that, it's a little bit thin on the ground. So, you know what? If he did beat Stipe and then laid the belt down in the middle of the ring and said, listen, guys, I've got nothing left to prove. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. You know, I'm out. Give me a call if if you do sign Francis to a new deal. Um, but I don't know. And I also feel on another side of things, John Jones's ego is a little bit too big to um, go out like that and, and not solidify his legacy even more by beating people that he thinks he can beat. So, We'll see. Time will tell. And and what I do know is that it's very, very exciting times in the UFC at the moment. I feel like the last year or so, a couple of years since COVID, the UFC didn't stagnate, but there were quite a few fights and quite a few events where you thought, mm, it wasn't the best, not the best. You know, UFC struggling a little bit at the moment, but John Jones is the heavyweight champion of the world. The UFC is on fire. And the next event, it's, um, as Adam likes to say, it's it's coming home. It's UFC 286 from the O2 Arena in London, <laughs> England. And um, this donkey has paid lots and lots of money to uh, to, to go and see it. So in a, in a couple of weeks' time, myself and my good friend uh, Klein will be heading down to London um, to watch Leon Edwards versus Kamaru Usman. So you can guarantee there will be a bumper episode of Kempi's Combat Corner in the build-up. To, to the big trip, loaded spot away in London. No doubt, mate. No doubt. No doubt. Just very quickly on the John Jones future and things like that, what do you reckon about a big money fight against uh, Jake Gyllenhaal? Um, I think with the way Jake Gyllenhaal looked from the footage that I've seen <laughs> in his fight, I don't think John Jones wants any of that smoke. Because <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal looks like a bad motherfucker. He, he looked well, um, didn't he? He looked well. It was a strange, it was really, really weird because I was watching the weigh-ins on Friday and the ceremonial weigh-ins where they all stand on the scales and flex and scream at the top of the lungs. And yeah. and then, you know, it was end of the weigh-ins and they just done all the face-offs. And then Dana says, and here's Conor McGregor. <laughs> so McGregor gets on stage, you know, pissed as a fart. We're to Vegas. Are you excited for tomorrow night? You know, you know, you know how he does. And yeah. um, and then, he, you know, welcome to the stage. Uh, I can't remember his, his character name, but... Jake Gyllenhaal's character name, and it's like they've got the the background UFC 222, which happened in 2018. Um, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal's character against some other character in the UFC main event. Jake Gyllenhaal looking like he's avoided USADA like the plague, um, turning up with all sorts of Mexican supplements in his system, looking absolutely shredded duck uh, on the scales and and looking really well. And then on Saturday night. In in the in the uh, you know when we're watching the event, the prelims usually finish at about ten to three in the morning, and then yeah. you'll get five minutes of Joe Rogan and Daniel Cormier having a bit of a chat, and then you'll get five minutes of you know like pre tapes, you know vignettes, videos of of building up the fight before the uh, the main event comes on, before the main card comes on. But after the uh, prelim main event, it sort of went to adverts for about 15, 20 minutes. And me and, my, me and the lads were like, what's going on here? It doesn't, this doesn't usually happen. So a quick search on Twitter and, and we figured out that they were actually filming the Roadhouse movie in the T-Mobile arena at that time. 
So yeah, in the time where um, between the, uh, the, the the prelims and the main card, um, they were actually filming the Roadhouse uh, movie. So it's going to be interesting to see. It's going to be fun to watch the film when it comes out and and say, oh, I was, you know, we were, we were wondering what was going on when this was being filmed. So, yeah, it's it's good. I'm glad they've done it because you know, I didn't think the Roadhouse movie was going to take this turn. I thought it was going to be a typical cheesy martial arts film, but, you know, it actually looks like they've they've pretty much gone balls out and they've, they've got... It's going to be based on the UFC. It's going to be based on Jake Gyllenhaal's character fighting in the UFC. And obviously, I do Kempis Combat Corner every week. I'm a big fan of the UFC. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to the film. And um, and I'm quite happy that they managed to get it done. And it looks as though it all went pretty smoothly. So, uh, looking forward to how that translated to the big screen. Yeah, definitely. Lads, thanks again for another great insight of the UFC and UFC 285 more in particular. We're back in just a few moments' time to go through the start of the Formula One season. Welcome back to episode 36 of Loaded Sport. It's now time to start breaking down this last weekend's Grand Prix. The start of a brand new Formula One season took place in Bahrain and it was back to normality for Max Verstappen and Red Bull Racing who walked away with a nice little one-two to kickstart the season. But I think we've got to start by talking about an outstanding driver performance by one Fernando Alonso. Unbelievable, weren't he? Absolutely. And, And there's so many people at the moment that will sit there and say to you, he doesn't deserve the seat. He's taken the seat away from younger drivers who deserve a chance in this sport. But if you've got a driver, regardless of age, that's performing to that level with that car, it's very difficult to say, jog on, we've got new talent here. Because as long as he's performing, there's a seat for him. 100% mate. I, I, just, I, I don't get it personally. It makes no sense to me. Like You, you go for the best driver. You don't say... Uh, you know, Ronaldo and Messi when they're in the mid thirties and still outperforming, you weren't you weren't saying oh they're they're taking a, a spot from someone in the academy or anything like that, do you? you? You go with your best person available, and if that doesn't prove that he is that person, I, I don't know what does. He, he was absolutely fantastic. It wasn't luck. It was a great drive from him. He was overtaking people. He, he, yeah, he was absolutely brilliant. Driver of the weekend for me, as I'm sure he will be for a lot of people. And uh, a lot of pundits, a lot of experts were, are expecting good things from Aston Martin this season with, with the work that they've done. And yeah, that, it, it seems like a very good start. So interesting to see what they can do over the course of a full season. Was it a fluke? Was it a one-off? Or in Saudi Arabia, are they going to be proved, are they going to prove to be the best of the rest or potentially fighting in amongst the Mercedes and Ferrari this season? So let's just start by going through the predictions that we made. So before the race started, we both went through um, a, a number of predictions for the uh, 2023 Formula One season and the longest season in Formula One history. And then I've got a question for you at the end, which George Russell's, uh, of course, mentioned after the race, which I think is an interesting one to talk about. But uh, we've both gone the same for drivers and constructors. We said that last week on the podcast as well. Both of us thinking Max Verstappen is going to walk away with the championship. Both of us thinking Red Bull are going to win the constructors. It seems like at the moment, and I know I said this about Lewis Hamilton, and yes, I'm bitter because he left McLaren, but I found the sport boring when Lewis Hamilton was on a dominant 
race after race, win after win, performance where nobody was getting close to him. And it looks like we're in the same situation now for Red Bull. So how has the tide turned so much from Mercedes being dominant to Red Bull being dominant? And, and now it's not just the case of the dominant. Mercedes have dropped off considerably, just like Red Bull did at the time. Yeah, it's uh, well, it's a strange one, mate. I don't, I don't really know how to explain it, to be honest. It's uh, it's early days, as we know. It's not over yet by any stretch of the imagination. But Max winning by 12 seconds and uh, Mercedes really struggling. <sighs> Could be a very long season, mate. A very long season indeed. It could. The next one is team with the most DNFs. Now, I, I, this this pained me to go Bloody for. Bloody hell, it's too early to worry about that. It is, but we made the prediction for the end of the season, so we can look back on them and see just what we, we agreed on at the time. Team with the most DNFs, you went Alfa Romeo, which of course mm-hmm. didn't happen for either driver. I went for McLaren, and for a large part of it, it looked like it was going to happen for both drivers. Lando Norris pitting every other lap, Oscar Piastri having to retire the car. It looked like absolute chaos from the very beginning of McLaren. And I remember saying to you when we were playing the F1 game on the PlayStation that this is going to be a season where McLaren are really, really going to struggle. And we're potentially going to ruin a lot of Lando Norris's potential. Potentially indeed, mate. And... You've got to assume that he's the front runner for taking over Lewis's seat when he eventually moves on, whenever that may be. But yeah, it's uh, I predicted, as you said there, for McLaren to struggle this season, and yeah, like very much like Mercedes, it could be a very long season ahead for um, Norris and um, McLaren. There we go. It kind of backs up your your comment there because the next one is biggest underperformers. You have gone for McLaren. Of course, Lando finished, I think it was like 17th or not much higher than that if he did in the end. Didn't get into Q3, neither car did. Of course, we saw uh, Piastri retire. For Mercedes, the one that I went for, George Russell finishing, I believe it was fifth. Lewis Hamilton didn't finish at all. Mercedes are on this sort of downward spiral now where you've got to look at it and think, what do they need to change to get themselves back up to that level? And I'm not, I know we had this conversation before with Gaz, a good mate of ours that that is a Formula 1 fanatic as well. And I know he's very biased towards Lewis Hamilton, but these drivers are now trying to help with the teams. And I think it doesn't work so well with Lewis Hamilton. And I don't think it worked very well with Vettel because they've had that success. And you'd like to think that a driver that's had that success can pass on that experience to to maybe like now he's meant to be doing this with George Russell. But he just can't seem to get the, the mechanisms of the car back to where they need to be alongside Red Bull. No, they're they're far and away. We we said it in last week's preview, didn't we? You were saying, is it going to be closer? Do I really think it's going to be that clinical? And and the answer is yes. What like you tell me? You you asked me a lot about Red Bull, especially with me being well, them being my team. But what can you see? And what can you see stopping Red Bull, or at least anyone getting anywhere near Red Bull this season? Um, Ferrari sorting their shit out. Basically, last season, their strategies were all over the place. And we've pl- I've played constructor games in at Formula One before. And I dare say that some of my decision making has been better than that of, of Ferrari's last year. This season, they don't seem to have a car that can consistently compete in terms of um, reliability. And that that's an issue that they, they had with uh, Leclerc last year. They were messing around with the strategy a bit too much. But even then... 
it was silly little errors that they were messing up on that was it was costing them from um, a technical standpoint as well. They weren't the car that was being built wasn't reliable enough. They had engine fails. I believe Leclerc had a um, a power unit change before the race even started. The first race of the damn season, and he's already had to change part of his engine. Yeah. <laughs> no. If I'd got the, I haven't got the money, but if I'd got the money from watching Formula One. I would not be interested in buying a Ferrari car. Not necessarily a Ferrari Formula 1 car, but a Ferrari in general. Watching them in Formula 1 has really put me off the idea of even buying a Ferrari car. <laughs> that says it all, doesn't it? I'd go as far as saying that. Um, I just want to say thank you to Steve, who has got in touch with us on Twitter. We put a post out about how we were talking about the incredible race that Fernando Alonso um, had had. Um, I've asked his opinion about how the race started and, and how he thinks Red Bull's going to be stopped. His opinion of this is that he's not massively happy with the 2021 cost of the cap penalty uh, being able to be negotiated by Red Bull. Um, so it was obviously mm. no penalty at all because, of course, Red Bull breached the uh, the cap penalty uh, the the cap that they've been given in Formula One. As a result yeah. of that, they've got no penalty for it. it. It's kind of pissing on the point of of having that in the first place, isn't it? Um, yeah. The winning run was never going to continue forever as a Mercedes fan, he says. Um, so it is what it is. The problem for him is that in modern F1, no one has the ability to catch up. There's no testing. There's no time between racing. There's too much limitation in what you can do. The cost cap has arguably had the opposite effect to its design. You've got what you've got, and that's it for the season. Now, I know when I, I pitched this to you, maybe it, it wasn't as clear, but the, the situation is for Formula One with the packed schedule that they've got in the moment they've got to make the trip now from Bahrain to Saudi Arabia and they've got two weeks to do that a lot mm -hmm. of traveling goes into there a lot of putting the cars down taking the cars over picking the like building the cars back up there's not much time there for the drivers to go out and test the cars and make those changes and test those changes because they're going from race to race and with the schedule yeah. getting more and more congested it's going to make it tougher to be able to do that so whatever you've got at the start of the season is what you've got for the season is what you say and, and he thinks that's going to be what ruins formula one because now we can see red bull and light years ahead of everybody else but where yeah. are the others going to be able to make that that back up they're not going to be able to they've got no time to be able to test the car and, and better this no and it's an absolutely fair point it it does kind of give you the feeling the season's over before it's begun but we, we've had that now for so many years with mercedes is it a case of it's a different team that there's more of a spotlight on it especially with the caps that have come into place maybe so but yeah, well, I said last week that we might not really see the effects of the of the penalty until halfway through the season, which at that point it could already be too late. So, I mean, I'm a Red Bull fan, so I don't particularly care overall. But you probably be better off to, to answer me, that. Join us down at our level. We sit tenth, and we're happy with it every year. Right, yeah, um, that's it for the Formula One. Of course, when they do go into Saudi Arabia, we'll be previewing that on our Friday preview show. Uh, but Skin, thanks a lot for your insights of the opening race of the Formula One season. I agree with you. Fernando Alonso is well-deserved of his driver of the day. The last question I've got for you is, what sign does it give to the rest of the grid, supporters of Formula One, new supporters of Formula One, when George Russell, who is supposed to be in a competing car, sits down in an interview and says, the season's over, I can't see a scenario where Max Verstappen doesn't win every race this season. Seems like a clever bloke to me. 
There we go. We're back in just a few moments' time to discuss the results of the NFL scouting combine and with preparation for the free agency. There's been some movement as well in some of the camps. Welcome back to episode 36 of Loaded Sport. We're now going to start looking at the NFL Combine that took place this past weekend. A lot of changes in people's draft boards ahead of the draft due to take place at the end of next month. And a couple of signings have taken place as well. I say one in particular that has gripped the NFL, and that is the departure of Derek Carr from the Las Vegas Raiders. He now has a new home in New Orleans. Skin, what are your thoughts on the Saints signing Carr to a four-year deal? Yeah, absolutely fine. I, I think I, I rate Carr slightly higher than what a lot of people do. Uh, I do think he's a very serviceable and reliable quarterback, although coming off of one of his worst seasons, but it's always going to happen to every player at some point. Uh, so, yeah, Saints, relatively decent squad overall, not as strong as what they were when Peyton were there as the head coach, but they, you know, they've got Kamara, they've got players like Michael Thomas, if he can be fit. Olave was fantastic in his rookie year. They've got a strong defence if everyone are fit. So, yeah, and again, playing in a dome as well, I think I think it could be quite good in what overall is, is quite a weak division. I think now you've got to be looking at Saints as being the favourites to win the NFC South with that signing. They've not got too much to go up against at the moment, have they, in that division either? I mean, I think it was the Bucks made the playoffs with a losing record, so... It kind of says everything about that division at the moment. Um, a couple of other si- uh, cuttings that have been made, should I say. Uh, the Chiefs have cut Frank Clark is something that we've heard just not too long ago, which is a big uh, big choice from Kansas City. Um, Josh Jacobs, tagged by the Raiders after rejecting his fifth-year option. I think after the year that he's had, it was a no-brainer, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. They they were absolutely right to not pick up the fifth year with how he'd been performing but they're also right to not want to lose him after his monster season. Uh, Cowboys also tagging Pollard as well, so quite a bit of activity today. Chiefs have announced that they're cutting Frank Clark and he'll be an absolutely phenomenal pickup for somebody. They're also expected to not tag Brown, their left tackle as well, who they got from the Ravens. So Orlando that Brown. Is a top, yeah, Orlando yeah. Brown. So that's a that's two top-tier players that are going to be hitting free mark at free agency now. So... Yeah, we're, we're really at the point. As I said last week, I was getting really excited where things start to heat up. Vikings have released Eric Kendricks, who is a fantastic linebacker, and he's now hitting free agency. Jags today have had Cal- Calvin Ridley reinstated after his ban for uh, gambling. So what a weapon that is. Trevor Lawrence, we look at the work he did last season. ETM was brilliant. Players like Christian Kirk and Zay Jones were really good. Money Ingram. They're now adding Calvin Ridley, who was really, really good for the Falcons before he got traded and, and suspended. So just in the space of a few days, that we're not that we're not even taking into account the combine and, and players that overperformed and really increased their draft stock. Like this is why last week I got really, really excited just talking about it. Because this is where, as I said, just those little dominoes fall in certain places and then other teams make decisions based on those dominoes and that's when shit really heats up. And in the space of 48 hours, 
We've absolutely done that, and there's no nothing happening for a few months. Free agency isn't even open yet. The draft is still nearly two months away. Absolutely amazing, mate. I love it. And closer to the draft, we'll, we'll be doing, I believe, a draft special where we'll be uh, having an in-depth discussion about some of the teams and, and who they could be selecting. But we can kick things off today by talking about the Combine. Plenty of uh, head coaches, plenty of uh, GMs went to the Combine to have a look at prospects that they feel could suit their team. Some stood out and I think have, have kind of Im- improved their draft stock significantly. One I want to mention to you uh, that you've spoken about quite a lot is Anthony Richardson. Yeah, absolutely. And just very quickly before I get more into him, you were talking about GMs and coaches and everything like that, being at the Combine to see what was happening. Rumours circulating in around the, only the last hour or so that the Titans were actually sort of shopping and conversing around the possibility of who would want to look at a trade for Derek Henry. That would be huge. I know you mentioned teams like the Bears who are rebuilding and could certainly afford him. What difference would that make for them and, and how they play? That opens up you know, the, the field for, for fields to a, run into, but also throw a bit deeper and a bit more confidently. Teams like the Chiefs and Bills you mentioned to me as well. Imagine a Chiefs off the back of a Super Bowl run, adding Derek Henry. Imagine the Bills who for a good two, three years where they've been really, really good, that running back, that backfield has been their, one of their weak spots, adding probably the best out-and-out running back in the league. Like This is what I mean, out of absolutely nowhere, all of a sudden it looks like one of the best and most dangerous threats in the game could be moving to a team and a top-tier one at that. So, yeah, ab- brilliant, mate, absolutely brilliant. But anyway, on to Anthony Richardson. I don't know if you'll remember, but I, I said last week when we were talking about it that a lot of mocks, a lot of pundits, a lot of experts have him potentially going towards the end of the first round should a quarterback-needy team who were comfortable in, in terms of a long-term project could take him. And I said that how he performs at the Combine, I think that will shoot him into a top 10, top 15 pick. And I've absolutely nailed that analysis because he's absolutely done that. He He's run a 4-3, 40-yard dash, weighing in at 244 pounds. Everything he's he pretty much he's done, he's performed like an elite receiver in, in vertical jumps and broad jumps. He, he's broken records that have stood for 20 years. He's he, He's been absolutely fantastic. And, and as I said last week, the only thing really that was stopping him being a consensus top 10, top 15 pick was the fact that he hasn't played a huge amount of football in college. But he is definitely built. He's, he's like a lot of people comparing him to a, a prime Cam Newton in terms of how he, he was built and what he did in college was Auburn is, you know, is historic. He was the number one pick, and for a long time was a phenomenal quarterback. So he just needs that bit of experience, that bit of molding. I know we spoke off off the record about Seattle Seahawks, and someone like that would be absolutely fantastic. Where he can go into a team, sit behind a veteran, not worry about having to play straight away. Even though he said he he thinks he's ready to play day one, a really good coaching staff. Yeah, it, I think whoever ends up picking him are going to have a really, really good player on their hands. But that's got to be the right scenario because we've seen very good quarterbacks come and go and have benefited from a good coaching staff or have benefited or, or have died because they haven't had that to their advantage. So a player can have all the ability and potential in the world, but if they don't drop in the right place, it, it's going to be for nothing. So really interested to see where come the end of April when the draft's finished, where he's uh, where he's ended up. There is potential um, that the Seahawks do pick up Geno Smith on the franchise tag. The tag is the 7th of March, so uh, time is running thin on that. If not, of course, he will at the free agency. 
By which point, I think it becomes almost an instant we need a quarterback at this point. And when you look at yeah. the free agency and who's available, do we want Jimmy Garoppolo? No. Do we do we think Lamar Jackson, if he does become available, is the right solution for us? No, because from what I understand, his his financial needs or requirements are way too high that I, I wouldn't agree with that. If Dan Jones becomes available, no. So to me, that at that point, it opens up the, the prospect of with that number five pick, do you take a quarterback? And unless every team above you takes a quarterback, there's at least one worthy of taking at that point. You've got, like you say, Will Levi, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, and, and Anthony Richardson, like we've just mentioned, that becomes available to you. And, and it's weird because with the number five pick, the number 20 pick, yes, a week ago, we could have sat here and said, yeah, we can always take a Will Anderson or we can take a, a Miles Murphy. And then with the number 20 pick, maybe take a punt on an Anthony Richardson. But now the combine has changed that significantly that some teams are wanting to move about. There's even now talk about the potential of us moving back from number five to allow somebody like the Carolina Panthers or, or the Falcons to jump above each other to try and, and take a quarterback before the other one because of how well these prospects have proven themselves. And there's teams there that are crying out for a quarterback. We're not. We, we've got Gino at the moment and we, we've got Drew Locke. So I know Drew Locke's not really proven himself. Gino last year did. And he says he loves it in Seattle. I can't see a scenario where if we didn't franchise tag him, we aren't going to re-sign him. I can't see too many teams thinking, oh, we'll take a punt on Gino. He's had one good year. Whereas with us, he's he's performed that one good year. He's sat behind Russell for for, te- for however many years and he's learnt what Pete Carroll's really wanting. And, and I think that's why he implemented it and, and proved so um, effective last year. So I think now... If we can sign Gino, we stick with what we've got. We don't take a quarterback. We might be able to move back from number five. And if a team wants it enough, we might be able to sneak ourselves a first rounder from next year, depending on who it is that decides to to jump up and then see what the prospects are like next year. So there's plenty of options just from Seattle's perspective. We're not even talking about the fact that the Chicago Bears have the number one pick and can move themselves six ways from Sunday at the moment. They've got so many different options available to them. So it costs ninety million pound in cap space to sign some really major free agents. Exactly. So, at the moment, for the Bears, they're probably in like this is the 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 very definition of what you need for a rebuild, isn't it? The number one pick, an incredible amount of space, teams dropping players all over the place, and you've already got a quarterback. Yeah, I, I've said it before. I, well, I said it over the weekend to to Tina, who is a Bears fan. If that is not the ideal rebuild situation, I, I really don't know what is. So, yeah, it's it's going to be a very, very exciting few weeks, especially once free agency officially opens again. Those first initial dominoes start going, it'll, it all falls down, and then you get into draft season where all the trades come in because teams panic that a player they want might go and by the time it gets to them and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. I said it last week, and I'll say it every week that we talk about it. It's my favourite time of year which is weird considering there's no action for another six months but yeah absolutely love it mate love it i'm panicking mate we we haven't even spoken about the chance we could get bobby wagner and big pooners leaving so i don't even know what to think about the seahawks at the moment oh, bittersweet mate it is other than anthony richardson then from from seeing the results of the combine is there anybody for you that's really like increased their draft stock so high that now you're thinking this is a guy that you know a team w- would try and move up for other than richardson of course yeah, Richardson would be my number one pick, but I think a lot of that is a bit biased because I called that last week of, of how much I think I thought he would increase his draft spot. I don't think that there's 
anyone really. You know, your Brash Youngs, CJ Strouds, the sort of the main two or the the two that are expected to go first in terms of quarterbacks. I, I don't think there's anyone that sort of failed, and I also don't think anyone really, really, you know, really, really increased their draft spot. Spot uh, Nolan Smith, edge defender, running quicker than Stefan Diggs and DeAndre Hopkins. Of course, that's going to put him on a lot of radars, but. I can see him going around sort of mid to late first round anyway. So, yeah, I, I do think Richardson is the big winner from the from the combine, but I, I did say that I thought that would be the case anyway. So I asked you last week when we spoke about it, and we'll finish talking about the NFL this week on the exact same question because now you're going to know more information. You're sat alongside Bill at the moment, Bill Belichick. <laughs> yeah. He's obviously frowning at you. You're whispering in his Wilson's. ear. Who are you wanting him to take? Oh, now, am I am I going ahead or heart with this? Whichever you'd prefer. Whichever if you say I Anthony prefer, Richardson, well, though, there's going to be questions asked. No, of course not, mate. I suppose if if it's up to me, I can only go with what I feel in the moment, and and that moment right now tells me that I want an exciting player. It's typical Patriots in the first round to to focus on the trenches and get an O lineman or a defensive lineman. I do think O-line is a need with us expecting to let Isaiah Wynn move on, which means we, we've got an opening for that left tackle spot. So, gun to my head, I do think that would be the, the position of focus come April 28th. But if it was up to me, if you were going to let me have the pick, if he passed over the, uh, the, the card and said, look, you fill it in, I would take Quentin Johnston, who's a, a wide receiver out of TCU. He's six foot four. He's weighs two hundred and fifteen pounds. He's a real big body outside receiver who will get your big yards downfield, but also be a massive uh, red zone threat. And I think if we're if we're looking at Mac Jones's third year development, I'm not going to count the second year with what he had going on alongside him and having a defensive mind in his ear. He's got Bill O'Brien, and I think Quentin Johnston would be an absolutely brilliant asset for him in his development. So yeah. Heart up to me, pen in my hand. I'm taking Quentin Johnston, but if I'm thinking about overall things and where Bill would want to go, then you're looking at a, a, a tackle, uh, I think. But anything can change. It depends what happens in free agency. 100%. Skin, thank you very much. Look forward to speaking to you more about the NFL as time progresses. We build up towards the 2023 draft we'll be back in just a few moments to discuss night four of the darts premier sorry night five of the darts premier league and build up to night six this week in liverpool Welcome back to episode 36 of Loaded Sport. We're now going to start talking about the Darts Premier League. Night 5 took place in Exeter last week. We're going to start by looking at the predictions that we all made. Skin, very, very good shout from you. Very close as well with Johnny Clayton. Uh, got to the final. You did, yes, mate. And, and as I said at the time, I couldn't lose. MVG being my, my pick for the overall tournament and Johnny Clayton being my pick for on the night. That bottom half of the draw being a bit wide open with Smith, Van Gerwen and Price all being in the top half of the draw. So, uh, technically didn't get it right, but very, very happy. And, yeah, very happy with my analysis and punditry. And, and I look forward to getting the call from Sky Sports to be on. 
excuse me, got hiccups, uh, be on the panel moving forward. So, yeah, I'm overall happy, mate. What about you, uh, Peter Wright? Well, still yet to get a win. Yeah, he's uh, he's propping up the table quite nicely with his uh, big fat zero points, and I'm starting to regret every choice I've ever made surrounding darts predictions. I've been backing him for the last five weeks, and he still hasn't got me a point. So I think this week I'm going to have to go with somebody else to win. Um, Kemp, I can't quite remember who it is you went for, I'm afraid. To be honest with you, mate, neither can I. Excellent. Overall, or last week? Last week. Last week. Uh, you went for my man Van der Beer last week. Did you? Oh, I did. No, you did. Yeah, I know, but it's your man. Um, yeah, me. I, I did. I did. I did. I did. And I don't think he did very well either, did he? To be fair. Um, he got to the semi finals, mate. Yeah. He, he beat Dobie, but then Clayton beat him 6 2 somewhere. Yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, to, be, uh, to be fair, it was a bit of a difficult one last week. As you mentioned, the one side of the bracket was very, very open. Other side of the bracket was very, very competitive. So, a little bit difficult to predict if you're a normal human being. But obviously, like you say there, Dawson, you are a phenom, so you've got it pretty much to a T, although very, very Fucking close. Good, aren't I? Very, very close. You are. You are. You're not as good as you think you are, but you're still very good. Hey up, Ducky. <laughs> right, well, I've already given you a bit of an insight to the person that I chose to go on and win the entire of the Darts Premier League this season. That was Peter Wright, who, of course, is sat at the bottom. Still plenty of darts to be played. But it isn't looking promising now as we enter into week six, uh, night six, should I say, sorry, in Liverpool. So, looking at Kemp's selection of Gerwin Price, who is currently in fourth place, still with a bit of an outside chance. He's got a little bit of momentum after that win in Wales. Hasn't really managed to uh, upset too many since. Yeah, I mean, you say outside chance. We're on night six, mate. You know, he's got he's got plenty of chance, plenty of time for Gerwin Price to win a few games and to, and to get it back. I mean, he's on eight points Aspinall's on nine, Smith's on nine, Van Gerwen's a little bit out in front on 15, Dawson, it's looking pretty pretty steady for the pick there for, for Van Gerwen, but, um, you know, they just need to be in that top top four places, I think it is, isn't it, to get to the semis um, when all's said and done. Uh, so, yeah, as long as Gerwin stays in that top four, um, like I say, he's a form player, so if he gets into the semis and starts really hitting a, a decent run of form, I still back him. Um, and I do see him getting to the final this week as it happens as well. I don't want to jump the gun, but night six uh, on Thursday in Liverpool, um, Gerwin Price is is his quarterfinal game is against your man Adam Peter Wright. Um, Peter Wright is yet to I don't think he's won a game yet in the Premier League. So not. yeah, so Gerwin Price I'm expecting to get through that. And as I've said before, Gerwin Price when he wins the quarterfinal more often than not ends up in the, in the finals. So. Um, it's going to be tough. I think Van Gerwen is on the same side of the bracket. So if he beats Johnny Clayton, it's going to be a difficult ask for Gerwin Price to to get through that one as well. But uh, my prediction, I think, for, for this week is Michael Smith to win the night. I think he's on the easier side of the bracket. Chris Doby, Nathan Aspinall and Dimitri van der Berg all on Michael Smith's side. So he should have a winnable quarter and a semi um, and then a, 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 a you know a competitive game in the final, but hopefully a little, little bit of momentum to take him there with some dominant wins. So I'm going to pick Michael Smith this week, even though you never asked me. There's my prediction. <laughs> Dawson, what do you think? He was always going to ask you at some point, weren't he? Oh, yeah. Um, get in there. I'm going to stick with your side of the draw, but I'm actually going to pick Aspinall to win this week. Okay. Um, I, I said last week that when picking Clayton that at some point some you know someone considered an outsider would win a night. 
Aspinall played some absolutely fantastic darts over the weekend. Uh, didn't win the, the UK Open, but he played some fantastic darts. And I feel like just that bit of a highlight win is is not too far away. And I think this is a great opportunity. So, yeah, one of Price or Van Gerwen is going to be out on one side. Van der Beer is playing relatively well. And to be honest, I don't think Aspinall will be too far behind Smith where they face off. So, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna put my name to Aspinall this week. I'm going to go with Gerwin Price. And there's two Ooh. sides in which I'm looking for this. No, um, you sell out, mate. You've gone against your man. You know why I've gone against my man? Because every prediction I make is wrong. So I'm playing this tactically. You know what? It's all right when you do it. So it's all right when you do it. But I can't do it. Oh, for fuck's sake. But I can't do it now. No, so when I pick against I've Sheffield United, I'm, a, I'm scum at earth. No, 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 fucking shut up. I'm not fucking a supporter of Peter Wright. I'm literally... Shut up. Shut up. When I fucking pick against Sheffield United, I am the scum of the earth. I'm lower than pond scum, as, as your man said it Wolf of Wall Street. But then when scumbag. you pick against your man, Peter Wright, the man that you said you'd go out uh, to a night out dressed up as him if scumbag. he won the Premier League, yeah, but that's fine now. That's fine. Yeah. You go against your man; it's absolutely fine. I go against my my men, and I'm a scumbag. Yeah, yeah, a bit scumbag. different though, isn't it? You support Why? Sheffield United. I've just predicted Peter Wright to win a league. That's literally it. Scumbag. It's not the same at all. It's completely you different. Fucking, I'm not you supporting Peter Wright. You guys are yeah, giving are. me a bet that if he wins the Premier League, I have to change my hairstyle. I didn't make a bet. You did. Your you prediction. I um I I've I, I just want to point out while we're on the subject because otherwise the moment will be gone. But I have heard some rumours camp over the weekend mm. that um Helena caught Aggie in the bedroom um doing the Peter Wright stage dance. Was it um across the bedroom? Yeah, again the rumours, the rumours. Mm. But that's did he have them stop the party on as well? He, he apparently he did. Yeah, apparently he, he didn't he'd, have the, um, he didn't have the me there for drums. So the story is he'd had a three-hour bath during the Super Sunday. He come out and he put his wet hair into a, a mohawk, and he was uh, he was doing the big fucking side steps across yeah. his bedroom at towel mm. at mohawk with the yeah. pit bull playing. But and again, there are only rumours, mate. That it's allegedly. Well. I bet he was like, I bet he was like, oh, I'm just warming up for football or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and she's like, confirm. you're not playing football till Wednesday. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I cannot confirm nor deny those rumours. Um, like I said, just rumours, mate, allegedly and apparently. I can only tell you what I'm seeing on the forums. I'm standing by what I'm saying. I'm going for good. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Aggie. Tell you what. Mm-hmm. So we've got the we've got the bet for if Peter Wright wins, which I think we can all comfortably and confidently say isn't going to come in. It's not. If No, we're not having if, one now that if he if, loses. Now if Peter Wright goes the whole tournament without winning one match, so not finish Ooh. bottom of the table, but doesn't complete one match, you have to put a video in the community forum of you doing the Peter Wright sidestep with your hair in a mohawk down somewhere relatively busy, but we'll figure out that out closer to the time. Do I have and to I'll, sh- and I'll put the Pitbull song over the top of it. Do I have to shave my head into a mohawk or can I go? No, no, like no, David just Beckham like just style just it like, like, style like it. it's like it's nineteen ninety nine, mate. Wet look gel. Yeah, all right. You've got the length up for it. Um, all right. I'll, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. Yeah, cool. yeah. If he, if he doesn't win a game the entire of, of the Premier League. Doesn't he, if he finishes bottom, as long as he's won a game, that's fine, doesn't it? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Just if he cool. fails to win one game. Yeah, I'll be the twat that agrees to that. Um, Gerwin oh, Price, I'm still going to go Price. with on uh, on this occasion um, because every time I predict somebody, 
they, I get it wrong. So I'm hoping that this means already those bets are going to be out the window and Peter Wright finally wins the game. And I just happily take him getting a point at the moment because my prediction is looking worse and worse on a weekly basis. And Sam's prediction is currently above me. Of course, Chris Doby winning the opening night, didn't he? He did, yes. Uh, so the lowest ranked in the Darts Premier League this year. Um, lads, that is all we've got time for this week on uh, Loaded Sports. So I know. Skin, just tell us uh, where people can find us on social media. Find us in all the usual places, mate. If you want to listen to us on Spotify or YouTube, you just search for Loaded Sport. If you want to find us on Facebook, it's also Loaded Sport. If you want to join our community forum with over 120 people in there to post your memes, comment on, on the weekend sport, whatever it might be, just search for Loaded Sport Community Forum. It is a private group, but one of us will add you. Um, when we're able to if you want to follow us on twitter it's at loaded sport um and tiktok is also at loaded sport as well and if you want to follow us on instagram it's at loaded undersport score so i have to do it every fucking week i cannot say I that you've done it on purpose at, no honestly i swear that i didn't even realize till about two seconds after i'd said it at loaded underscore sport on instagram there we go there we go, indeed. Uh, Skin, thanks very much for joining us to go through it. Kemp, once again, thank you very much for uh, an excellent breakdown of Kemp's combat corner in the UFC 285. Tremendous. And joining us uh, to go through it. Of course, we'll be back on Friday and find us on all the social media channels. The champ is here. One more thing. I've got to say one more thing before we sign off, and I'm going to quote the great John Jones, the heavyweight champion of the world. <laughs> Can I get a... Oh, yeah. Good night, everybody. <laughs>